We love y'all. Hey, so we are going to uh, worship together by um, participating in the Lord's Supper, by participating in communion. I'm assuming that you've already passed it out. No, yeah, definitely pass it out. And we're, we're doing this in a way that, uh, you know, nobody's got to touch. Uh, you know, you're not passing stuff around. Just grab one of the little tacky cups, which we have, we have to use at this moment in history to, uh, to take communion. And so y'all, as they're passing that out, let me just say a couple words about this. <clears throat> when Jesus and his guys, when they gathered for the Last Supper, which was really a Passover meal, um, the, the focus of that meal was really the, the symbolic sharing of bread and, and of wine, which he gave them as tokens of his coming death, which was going to happen right there that weekend. Um, and it was to be, what he shared with them was to be for the benefit of those guys, and it is for the benefit of, of Christians for 2,000 years, right down to July of 2020 for me and you. You know, if you think about this truthfully, this it's a symbolic act that we're doing, and it really was performed in the context of, of the Passover celebration, which was a celebration of redemption. It was a celebration of the Lord redeeming, uh, rede in context, redeeming the Hebrews out of slavery. And so it's an image, y'all, of redemption. And it is the, really the very, thank you, the very clearest, crystal clear statement that Jesus ever made of his the redemptive purpose of his death and it has become rightfully so over the years as he directed a focus of the worship of his followers and so you know Paul wrote in uh, excuse me Luke wrote in Luke chapter uh, 22 and and let me tell you this is a meal of remembrance this is a meal where we remember the Lord this is a uh, it is a it is we are participating in something to look back on and remember this. And so Luke wrote uh, in Luke 22, he said, and he took the bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in what? Do this in remembrance of me. Well, what are we remembering? Y'all, what are we remembering? We are remembering that he literally that weekend gave up his body for me and you. So I want us to remember that right now. And every time you take communion, it doesn't need to just be some flippant thing that you do. Give me some bread and give me some wine. And I'll tell y'all that are watching online, go to the refrigerator and get something and participate in this uh, with us. Um, but we remember that he literally gave up his body for us. So I want you to peel your little, little top thing away and, and, and get the little cracker. guess I got a childproof one um, let me pray father thank you so much for the reminder thank you for the sacrifice of your son no greater love absolutely no greater love could there possibly be his body was given sacrificed hung on that cross so that you and I can live remember that 
And it's in his name that we pray, amen. And then that night at the Last Supper, verse 20 of Luke 22, he said, And likewise, and likewise, the cup after they'd eaten, uh, he said, This cup that you have in your hand is poured out for you. He poured out his blood. This cup is poured out. It's the new covenant in my blood. And so I want us to take the cup, drink of the cup. And again, y'all pray with me. Lord, we can't even express how thankful we are. Words just, they cannot express how thankful we are. That we remember the blood of the lamb. We remember the blood of the lamb shed on that cross to pay for every sin that we ever did, will commit. It's the power of the cross, Lord, and we praise you. We praise your name for that. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, your, your justice and your mercy and your grace all crashed together at the foot of your cross, Lord, and we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So, y'all, we are now, we are in, and I tell you what I'm supposed to direct, y'all. Just hold on to the cup, and when we're done today, there, there'll be trash can out there, and you can just drop it in the trash can. So just hold on to it for now. So y'all, look, we're in week five, which is the last week of this first series called Unashamed, as we're walking through the book of Romans, the, Paul's letter to the Roman church. And so we're this first section, uh, that series called Unashamed, where is, today is the last message in that, and it's the first three chapters, for the most part, the first three chapters. A couple of weeks ago... Um, we ended chapter 2, and uh, last week we took a little sidestep, and Christy Murphy spoke, and it was an incredible, it was an incredible message, y'all. It was an incredible message. We know that we know at least one person made Jesus the leader and the, and the forgiver of their life last week, y'all, because somebody turned a connection card in. Y'all, if there was one person sitting in here, we'd be preaching the gospel. And so that, if anything, deserves an amen and some clapping. You know, a lost sinner became a saved sinner last week. So, Christy uh, uh, spoke last week. It was great. There, we love Christy and Jeff. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, we we finished chapter two, and chapter two kind of ends, if you remember, with Paul talking about what true circumcision is, and true circumcision is circumcision of the heart. That it's not about ritual, it's not about tradition, it's not about ceremony, but it's about it's about the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And it's not the letter of the law, but it is the spirit of the law. And Paul says that in verse 29 of chapter 2. Today we're going to begin chapter 3. And you remember these first, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I think. These first three chapters of Romans really, really point out our desperate need. They point to our desperate need. And y'all, honestly, I'm so ready to get out of these first three chapters, talking about how desperately we, we need uh, because, because of our sinful nature. I'm ready to get out of these first three chapters, but the truth is that is what Paul wrote, and that is an image of me and you. It talks about the ungodliness of man and the wickedness of man. And so you and I, we are in desperate need, and Paul spends this first, basically these first three chapters uh, on, that, on that theme, I guess. The first four or five verses of chapter three is kind of where we're going to be today, and it's on the heels of this discussion of the Jews and of circumcision and what all of that kind of meant. And so Paul says 
in verse 1, or at least beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, he talked about all of this circumcision and he talked about what it really is, circumcision of the heart, and he talked about um, that it's a heart issue and it's not a, it's not a uh, ritual and tradition thing. It's not about the ceremony. It's not about, being, it's not about your genealogy. And then he comes in chapter 3 and he says, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what value is circumcision? And then he says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, the word of God. Well, what if some are unfaithful? Does that, uh, that faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, Paul says. And so Paul is like, he's almost having this conversation with somebody. And you can see I've got it kind of color-coded. Isn't that cool? That's the, the people that are in the conversation. And so he's, it's almost like he's writing and playing this arguing back and forth, this discussion back and forth. And I am sure that the arguments that he makes in Romans, that they came from discussions that he had with real people uh, as he was preaching in synagogues uh, and in the streets, mostly in the synagogues, all through, that's what he did. He traveled and he preached in synagogues. And he's preaching the gospel and he's having these discussions and a lot, I guarantee you that a lot of the things that he brings up, particularly in Romans, come from those discussions. Because, you know, people tend to bring up the same sorts of arguments. They bring up, if I am a super liberal guy, and I'm having a conversation with a hundred super conservative guys, and I make a point, probably they're all going to bring up the same argument. And that is what, and so Paul points those things out in Romans, and I believe that he's doing that here, no doubt. So here in verse 1, it's like the objector. We'll call this sort of mythical person that he's having this discussion with an objector. And he's saying, this objector is saying, well, if being part of the Jewish community, if being, being part of the Jewish nation or, or our circumcision, if those things ain't worth anything, then what good is it being a Jew? What advantage is there, this person's asking, in being part of God's covenant people? And then Paul jumps in the, in the uh, conversation, and he answers that question in verse 2. He's like, he says, are you kidding me? Like, what part of the last 3,500 years are you not quite getting? You know, who is it that God trusted his word to? You know, the Bible says here, and Paul is saying, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were entrusted with the word. The Jews were entrusted with and it was placed in their hands. And so Psalm uh, 147, which speaks to the very character, y'all, and the, the, the very attributes and the goodness of God, that psalm ends in verse 19 and 20, and, and the psalmist says, He declares his word to Israel. He has not dealt like this with any other nation. Praise the Lord, that psalm says. So Paul says yes to this question. He says much in every way. So at the end of the day, he says much in every way for several reasons. Here in Romans 3, he says it's because they were, they were entrusted with the word. They were entrusted with the oracle, oracle, uh, oracles of God. They were entrusted with the laws. Just read uh, Exodus 19 and 20. Moses goes up the mountain, hangs out with God up on the mountain. He comes down with the stone tablets with the big ten on them, right? I believe that when he would, because Moses ended up pinning Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I believe God downloaded all kinds of stuff 
to Moses when he was up on the mountain. He entrusted his covenant people with his word. And that's what Paul is saying here. They were also the people through whom Jesus was born. That's kind of a big deal, y'all. They were also the people who, uh, they were the beneficiaries of multiple covenants with God himself. Later on in Romans in chapter 9, uh, Paul comes back to this theme, and he says this in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 9. He says to them, and he's talking about the Jews, to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, the fathers, the fathers, the church fathers. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. But those privileges, and those are super unbelievable privileges, but that didn't make them any better than anybody else. The truth is those privileges made the Jews even more responsible. When you say yes to Christ's offer, you become more responsible. So they became more responsible, and they became more accountable to the Lord. So in verse 2, Paul is emphasizing that they know, that they were trusted with God's word, that they were to protect God's word, that they were to love God's word. And y'all, man, no psalm represents uh, uh, and glorifies the majesty of the written word more than Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the lot more verses in Psalm 119 than any other book, excuse me, any other chapter in the scriptures. 176 verses over and over and over and over praising the Lord for his word. And so now this, and we're going to come back to Psalm 119 in a little while, but this objector comes back in, in verse 3 of Romans chapter 3, and he says, I had all that stuff. Well, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? That's the ESV. The, the New American Standard translates it this way. What then? If some did not believe... Their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? So that word unfaithful, that word faith, it's packed in there is trust and belief and, and confidence. And so the meaning here is that what if some folks don't have faith and they don't believe and they don't trust and they don't have confidence in God, what effect, y'all, what effect does that have on God? Does their unbelief, or your unbelief, does that uh, cause God to react with, unfaith, uh, with faithlessness? Does it cause God to react and be unfaithful to you? And Paul answers that question by no means in verse 4. And in that original Greek language, it is the strongest negative possible in the language. Other English translations read, absolutely not. Or God forbid. And so y'all in plain, in plain English, in Medea language, it is no to the no. No to the no. It doesn't. It has no effect on it. By no means. Absolutely not. It could never be. It's utterly impossible. Y'all do know who Medea is. I thought that was funny. Um, it's impossible. It can't be. Well, what is it that can't be that Paul's talking about? God can't break his word. God can't break his promise. It is impossible. Why is it impossible? It is outside, completely outside of his nature. 
Y'all, we serve and we worship and we praise a promise-keeping God. He will never break his promise. Never. It's contrary to who he is, y'all. And so this is kind of where I want us to land today. In transparency, y'all, on my preaching calendar today is Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. You do realize that I actually plan this stuff out about six or so months in advance. I have a preaching calendar, and today it says Romans uh, chapter 3, 1 through 18. But as I started studying Sunday night, um, I was just captivated by these first four or five verses. And I believe these words in these verses lay out for us a timeless truth, a timeless truth that kicks off Romans 3, a truth that transcends time. In other words, a truth that is, that is as true in 2020 as it was in 20 AD, a truth that is as true in the United States of America as it was in ancient Israel. It crosses geography, it crosses culture, it, it crosses time, and it, I mean, it, it just crosses everything. It is a truth that is true all the time for everybody. And so it's a timeless truth here about God's character, about his nature, about uh, all about who he is. So today I want us to try to get our arms around, best we can, God's faithfulness, the, the enormity and the beauty and the majesty, y'all, of his faithfulness. And then I want us to, to get our arms around our response to his faithfulness. What do we do with his faithfulness? How do we respond? Maybe... Um, Maybe at least how we should respond. You ready? We're going to jump in. Number one is this. In light of this, does, his, his, does my faithlessness affect God? Does it cause him to react a certain way? Number one point is this. We're just not that influential. We're just not. We, we're just not. I'm not that influential, and you're not that influential. And yes, me and you have free will. We have the ability to choose between right or wrong, or blue, or green, or a hamburger and french fries, or a kale salad. You know, we have the, the, the right to choose, the ability to choose to be obedient, or to be disobedient, and to, to choose to believe or not to believe. Now, if I choose not to believe, because y'all, I can believe, I told y'all I wasn't going to walk around, but I am. I could choose to believe in my heart of hearts that that ain't a guitar. But that doesn't affect the fact whether that's a guitar or not. So I can choose to believe that God is not, that God does not exist. But, <clears throat> but my disbelief does not affect the truth. Y'all, A cannot equal negative A at the same time. I can choose not to believe that, that Jesus walked out of a grave alive. Either it happened or it didn't happen, but my disbelief in that does not affect the fact that it happened. And so... so if you think about this, um, it is silly and it is pointless to try to make God's faithfulness in any way dependent on the quality or the size of our faith. We just aren't that influential. Our experiences ebb and flow through life. We have seasons of ups and we have seasons of downs. We have seasons of strong, like fervent faith and, and belief. And we have seasons of weak, shallow belief. Y'all, our experiences of following Christ in this life will always, always, always include a mixture of faith and trust and some faithfulness and some doubt. And our 
almost schizophrenic faith. It can't and it doesn't affect God. Psalm 116.11 says, talks about the fact that many people are unfaithful and they're liars. You know, uh, our un unfaithfulness manifests itself by suppressing the truth. Romans 1.18 says, and exchanging the truth for a lie, Romans uh, 125 says, and rejecting the truth, Romans 2.8 says. None of that, none of that affects the unwavering, deeper truth of God's faithfulness. We just don't have that much clout. We just don't have that much sway. We don't have that much whatever word you would put in there with God. Y'all, the scripture over and over and over and over, it speaks to his faithfulness despite our lack of trust in the moment. It is who he is. Second Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he can't deny himself. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. 1 John chapter 1 in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. In Numbers chapter 23, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Psalm 33, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Over and over and over, the scripture depicts him as a promise keeper, as faithful, as trustworthy. Deuteronomy 31, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Don't fear or be dismayed. And then the pinnacle, y'all, the pinnacle of his faithfulness in Romans chapter 8 and then Romans chapter 5 in chapter 8, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And in Romans 5, in verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of me spitting on him, he died for me. In the middle of me being completely unlovable, he loved me, not just loved me, he loved me enough to die for me in the middle of that that is because y'all he's a promise keeper and he is faithful it is overwhelming to me honestly his faithfulness it just overwhelms me when I think about it even when I'm not he is it's like this the Sun is light and bright shining 24 7 365 all year long all decade long all century long all millennia long but the problem is that the earth gets dark, right? The earth gets dark. How can there be all of that light and the earth gets dark? Somebody tell me why it gets dark. Hattie says, because it's spinning. The earth's rotating on its axis. The, ro the earth rotates. It turns. It gets dark because it's spinning around, right? So the side that is facing the sun gets light, and the side that's not facing the sun gets dark. Here's what I'm telling you, all. If there's darkness in your life, 
It is not because God, the Father of light, is turning. It is because you are turning. He doesn't turn away from you. You, turn, you and me turn away from him. He never will. He promises over and over that he never will. He is the Father of light, and in him there is no darkness. There is no shadow because he's faithful and he's consistent. Just like the sun, he's always shining, and in his light there's no shifting shadow and there is no darkness. We just got to make sure that, that almost like as the earth is turning that we turn ourselves to be facing the light all the time. So that first timeless truth, that first he is so faithful, so faithful, and we just don't, our disbelief does not affect him. Number two, second timeless truth is this. It involves our response to that fact, our response to his faithfulness. And it's this, our response should be praise. Our response should be praise. We praise him because he is who he is and because he is faithful. So now the rest of Romans uh, of, of chapter 3, verse 4, the rest of verse 4, God uses David, King David, as an example of somebody acting faithless. It says, let God be true through everyone, though everyone were a liar, as it is written. And when it says, as it is written in the New Testament, typically you're going back to a quote from the Old Testament. And in this case, he's quoting Psalm 51. He says, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And so it's an interesting passage in, in Psalm 51 that he's quoting, and it's from a very difficult time in King David's life. And so Paul quotes David, David here, and here's what was happening in David's life as Psalm 51 was being written, which would have been about a thousand years or so earlier. David's up on the roof of his crib, and he's, he's looking out over the balcony, and there's Bathsheba, and Bathsheba was hot, and David's looking at her, and Bathsheba was also the wife of a man named Uriah. And David just kept hanging around, and David kept looking, and he really liked what he saw, so he decided to commit adultery with Bathsheba, and he did. And not only did he do that, but Bathsheba became with child. Bathsheba became pregnant. David decides to marry Bathsheba. In order to marry her, he had to get rid of her husband. So he worked out a way to get Uriah knocked off. So David was an adulterer, and David was a murderer. And so in the middle of all that, the Lord sends Nathan the prophet to David. And Nathan comes in and he says uh, to him, he said, David, bruh, he said, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you a story. He said, David, there was a rich man and there was a poor man. And all the poor man had was this little bitty lamb. All the poor man had to his, to his name, to his life, was his little bitty lamb. And the rich man took the lamb away from the poor man. He took all that poor man had, he took it away from him. And David said to Nathan, Nathan, as the Lord lives, as the Lord lives, whatever you're telling me, whoever you're telling me about deserves to die. And Nathan looks David in the eye and he says, you're the man, bro. You're the man. And David says to Nathan, this is in 1 Samuel, he said, oh, I have sinned against the Lord. And then David says again in Psalm 51, in verse 4, he says, against you, and he's talking to the Lord, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's acknowledging his faithlessness, and he's acknowledging his sin. And then this is what Paul quotes in Romans 3. So that you, the Lord, may be justified in your words 
and blameless in your judgment. And so he's saying, God, you are justified in whatever you do. If you thump me off the planet right now, you would be absolutely just in doing that. Now I want you to hear a little more of what David said in Psalm uh, 51. And I want you to see this progression in Psalm 51 of where David go, comes from and where he lands. Verse 5, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity. I know I'm a sinner, David says. In verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He's saying, Lord, clean me up. And then he says, let me hear joy and gladness in verse 8. And in verse 9, he says, blot out all of my iniquities, my sin. Get rid of them, Lord. Verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In verse 11, he says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Don't leave me, Lord. He's saying, Lord, don't forsake me. Don't leave me. Verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. In verse 14, he says, deliver me and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. And then he caps it off in verse 15, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He goes from, I am a wretched sinner to open my lips and I will declare your praise. It is praise, y'all. It is praise. Praise him when times are good. Be on your knees praising him and thanking him when times are good. And then you praise him in the same place on your knees when times may not be so good. We ebb and flow through seasons of our life, but none of that affects who he is. We cannot let our circumstances, and I ain't saying it's easy, y'all. I'm not. It's not easy. But we cannot let our circumstances dictate our faithfulness. We cannot let our circumstances dictate our belief. We cannot let our circumstances dictate our trust in the Lord. We can't do that. People do it all the time. We cannot do it. Well, why did God let this happen? He didn't change, y'all. He doesn't change. And we should praise him no matter what. No matter what. I want to call Josie and Dan up here for a second. <clears throat> and if you can grab that microphone that's right there. On that little stand. So, um, here, let me turn it on for you. So Josie and Dan are, you know, are, are moving to, there you go. Is it too tall? <laughs> you good? good? Don't be flipping off of here. I know. <laughs> I don't know if we paid our insurance bill or not. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, you know, they are unexpectedly sort of, unexpectedly to them, nothing sneaks up on God, right? But, but, but to us, in this, in this life that we live, unexpectedly sort of moving to Texas, you know, tell me how, um, how do you react to that? I guess. How do y'all react to, 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 to that kind of popping up, what, about six weeks ago? Am I right? Yeah. How do you react to that? Well, first of all, we were shocked. I'm going to be honest. But we also know the Lord we serve. We, um, the circumstances and the things that come up, as you mentioned, do not change God. Um, we live in a life where we praise him at all times. We, we are thankful. And when you do that, 
your heart, when you're grateful to the Lord, you know that in your heart, you know that God never changes. We, we have things that arise. We had a grandson who's now going to be celebrating this year his 12th birthday. At the age of two, he was diagnosed with cancer. And I can tell you that the lady that, the oncologist surgeon, the one that was removing the tumors, she said, I'm a woman of science. And I said, I'm a woman of God. And you're going to, you're going to pray and the pro before. The prognosis was what? The prognosis was cancer. It was a very rare cancer. And uh, the, they had also told us that if he reached the age of 10, his chances for not getting it would be higher. But if he didn't, and in a lot of the circumstances with the cases they had seen, it did reoccur. And he, he would only have like a 40% chance of survival. My grandson will be 12 this December. But see, and they we live knew in San Antonio. This was in, he's in San Antonio. Yeah. But we knew going into it that we were, as a family, thanking the Lord. Thanking the Lord because we knew what he was going to do. And as my daughter came to me and said, Mama, I'm not ready to bury this child. I said, we're going to get on our knees right now, and we're going to pray to the God that knows all, that is in control, and that will heal this child. Because we're committing to him to, to the Lord. He belongs to the Lord. He's rewarded us with him. But he belongs to the Lord. And we know the Lord. We know him, and we know what he can do. So without a doubt... Whenever we see whatever, and we, we saw, people would ask me, as I mentioned to you, yet that ask, how's your grandson? He's doing great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's doing great. Even if I saw my grandson with sores in his mouth because of chemo, even if I, we noticed that there were many a days where he couldn't get up from bed, but we praised and we praised and we praised him because we knew, we know what the Lord can do, without a doubt. And this virus, this virus doesn't surprise the Lord. This virus has nothing. It will not contain Christ. We're, we're asked to be contained. We're asked to be uh, assembled in our homes. And I can tell you this, that I don't. We don't walk in fear because we know what the Lord can do. We've seen what the Lord can do. And this right now, what we're getting ourselves ready, we've been praying every night, equip us, Lord. Equip us for this, for what you have in store for us because I know, we both know it's great things. And you are going to use us. You are going to use us. And that's where we live in. We live in that mindset that, how can we benefit you, Lord? What can we do for you, Lord? How, what can you use us for? And we're excited. We're excited. I know people go, oh, my gosh, what have you. Uh, but no. He is a man of few words. But um, we're excited. We're excited for the next chapter. In and, you know, you know, when you live that way, to get to the point, I guess, where you can live that way, there's a certain amount, and it may be a lot, of surrender that happens with that. To surrender to the Lord that 
you know better than I what I need. Your will is going to be done anyway, so I might as well surrender, right? Um, But it is so anti our nature to surrender because we don't want to be accountable to anybody. Husband doesn't want to be accountable to wife. Wife doesn't want to be accountable to husband. And people don't want to be accountable to God because when I say yes to the Lord, I'm accountable to him. Mm -hmm. And I got to surrender to him. Mm -hmm. And what you think will be a lack of freedom ultimately is unbelievable freedom. Exactly. And, it's, yes. and part of that freedom is to be able to talk to him anytime you want. And, I mean, I'm telling y'all, this lady is the prayer mama warrior and warriors like I've never seen. Two people have just incredibly influenced my personal prayer life, and that is my wife and Josie. I mean, in, in unbelievable ways. And so I thank you so much. You have no idea. I've never told you that. But it is the truth. Um, I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord because I know that when, as I mentioned, my grandson Dominic uh, was sick and many people were reaching out to prayer. I said, Lord, I know that I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to praying for others. And, well, and I do that. I do that. But I, I do that with, I know that we are bringing many friends, many people to the Lord when we bring them in pr- to prayer that people were interceding for them. But, Lord, I'm bringing you another friend that needs that needs attention, Lord. You already know. You already know, Lord, but you know our faith, and that's what what is sweet to you, that you see our faith, that you see our praise, that you see our prayer, that we know, we know what you can do, Lord, and that nothing hinders, hinders the love you have for us. Nothing can hinder that. Nothing will separate that. You, you sacrificed at the cross. Remember that. In the communion, I know I had asked you if we could have communion, and I wanted to just break bread and remind ourselves of that, that what we have in the Lord is precious, that we hold it dear to our hearts, that we're reminded of that. You know, the last five chapters of Psalms are nothing but praise to the Lord. Praise, praise, praise. And that's where we want to be in the mindset of praising him, praising him. For we know what he can do. He's a provider. He's our redeemer. He's our restorer. He has back then done what he's done. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine what he's doing now? Can you imagine? I mean, Lord, I I thank him every day. And I really, really really ask that people have that mindset because we see something come up and we go oh gosh what are we going to do but when we go and we go thank you lord we know what you've done before in our lives we know what you're going to do and we're thanking you lord we're grateful to you i know that when we moved from oklahoma we were we were vested in our church we were we were helping, Dan was cutting grass. Remember you said, what? He was cutting grass over there too. But uh, we were vested in the church. And I even thought, Lord, am I not, am I not doing enough, Lord? You're moving me? Like, I, I don't understand, Lord. But okay, I know that whatever you have in store, it's going to be good. I know that, Lord, it's going to be good. And the three years we have spent here has, they've been wonderful. They've been amazing. We've called my pastor a friend you know and and uh many many people susan that i can call upon and that she'll pray and 
and Whitney and so many people, so many people that the Lord has blessed us. Do we leave, uh, I, I get my little melancholy moods that I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't understand, but I know your will will be done, and I know it's going to be good. I know that the road ahead of us is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And yeah, because yes, he scripted it. Yeah. Because yeah. he scripted He's it. He's the author of our life. The author of our lives. So when he's writing that chapter, you know it's going to be good. You know it's going to be good. No doubt it's going to be good. And we're thankful for that. We are thankful for that. That we don't know what lies ahead, but we know we're going to a place where we have family. And we know that our children, our grandchildren, need uh that relationship, that deeper relationship with the Lord. And I feel that's what the Lord's commissioning, commissioning us to do. I know back in May I had prayed, Lord, will you send a strong witness to my grandchildren? Will you send a strong witness to them, Lord? I prayed that. And then this happened and I go, okay, Lord. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> okay, Lord, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful because you know what? I know that you're going to get us ready. You're going to get us prepared. And, and that we have just uh, a lot of uh, good things ahead for us. You know, I was going to add the last question I was going to ask you, I think you answered in that, is if you had to say um, what is one, because we've heard some theological sort of truths this morning, what is one thing that we can do consistently all the time? And what I heard in your answer was praise him. Yep. Praise him. Praise him. So, look, y'all, we love y'all. I'm so thankful for, for the time we got to be together and for this right now. And so uh, we're going to continue on. Y'all, if you're into COVID hugging, hug them before you leave. You can give them an air hug. You can do whatever you want to. Um, but I thank y'all so much. You got to jump off the stool. So, look, thank y'all. We praise him. We praise him. Our prayer life is all about praising him. You know, have you, have you re recreated God into your own image? Have you recreated the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob into some genie in a bottle and you pull him out when you need something? Is that the essence of your prayer life? God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need a job. God, I need a car. God, I, is it all about that? I'm rubbing that little genie in the bottle and, and he pops out and I need this. I need that. If that is sort of a snapshot, y'all, of your prayer life, then let's change that today. Let's let your prayer life be remade into one of praise. I said we're going to jump back into Psalm 119 and we're going to do that as we sort of close this out today. Psalm 119, 176 verses, and it's verses of praise, praise, praise over, uh, over the Word of God. Verse 7 says, I will praise you with an upright heart. Verse 62 says, at midnight I rise to praise you. Verse 108 says, accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord. Verse 164 says, seven times a day I praise you. 
Verse 171 says, my lips will pour forth praise, just like he said that in Psalm 51. Verse 175 says, let my soul live and praise you. So y'all, you just, you got to know that, that my life and that your life, it's going to be this, this tapestry that is woven into threads of, of, of faithfulness and trust and confidence right along threads running the other way of faithlessness and lack of trust. But we can take just massive, ginormous comfort in knowing that none of that, none of that nullifies the God of the universe's faithfulness towards us. We just don't have that kind of sway. And we hit our knees and we praise Him. And we praise Him. And we praise Him. When I feel so strong, like crazy strong, I praise Him. And when my strength is lost, I praise Him. You know, when the weight of a mountain is crushing me down, a mountain of debt, a mountain of addiction, a mountain of lust, whatever it is, when that mountain is crushing me, I'm on my knees and I praise Him. When the battle is won, I praise Him. And when the fight seems to be lost, I'm still going to praise Him. I'm still going to be on the same knees praising Him. Y'all pray with me, Lord. Please let us live a life of praise. Let me live a life of praise. Let me lead my family into living a life of praise. Lord, let us all praise you right now. Let us praise you today. Let us always praise you. If our lives, Lord, can be a testimony of one single thing, Lord, let it be a testimony of praise. In Jesus' name, amen.